Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. This episode is very different because in this episode, I'm interviewing a pop princess, actually talking someone who is very creative, but not allowing herself to be pigeonholed into just one thing. This guest is multi-hyphenated, allowing herself to follow her passion projects doing multiple things because of the depth that she has to offer. But it's not all positive and joyous. We also talk about how we can move from darkness, actually living life light and dark, moving from darkness of experiencing childhood trauma and internalizing criticism from people that she just couldn't sing. So Harriet Starling, or better known as Starling, she came into her singing career quote-unquote late. And we talk about that in this episode of how she experienced ageism and also the pressure to slim down, to mold her body from the white males in the music industry. So we talk about the patriarchal pressure on women who are in the creative space. But there's so much more. So if you think, oh, I'm not a singer or this is not for me, I'm not a creative, think again. This is for anyone who's come through a story of hardship and also learned to follow their passion, follow their ambition without drowning in it. We talk about why balance is maybe not the best word for how we can find a sustainable pace in our life, and maybe that sustainability in following our passion is a more helpful term. I loved this episode. Unfortunately, we had some tech issues, so we had to cut it a bit short, but I would love for you guys to also start to look at the videos that we are now creating. So I've gone from just doing audio to now capturing some video as well. So you'll be seeing some of this on my Instagram under the Thomas Connection. So that's the underscore Thomas underscore connection. So if you don't already follow me on Instagram, hop over to the platform or I'll be sharing this on Facebook as well under the same name. So I would like you to let me know how you're finding that new format. That means that our audio is a little bit compromised, but it was so good to have this connected chat with Starling about how she has allowed herself to break the mold and, you know, liberate herself from the expectations that people have placed on her, all that noise of criticism that she will receive also actually means that that means that she has made it. So when you receive negative comments on Instagram that people care long enough or hard enough to write you a message, that means that you have made it. But we also talk about what success actually means to you. Is it money and wealth or is it freedom and flexibility? We touch upon these topics today in the episode, so I'm really excited to dive in to this conversation with the British pop princess Harriet Starling. And Starling was discovered by Henry Bims of Zero Seven in a Soho bar she worked in, and from there ended up in sessions with Massive Attack. She sings about courage, darkness, and coming through every fire stronger than before. 
With several strings to her bow, Starling also has a podcast, Starling's World, discussing the process of creativity, and this has now been turned into a live event by Soho House. Starling founded The Platform, a series of mentoring programs born out of her passion to be to others what she had needed. The Platform helps creatives emotionally and strategically turn their dreams into reality. Celebrity fans include Vivian Westwood and Eminem had Starling's No Rest for the Wicked on hold for his last album. With millions of streams already under her belt and comparisons to Lordi and Bastille, Starling is set for pop stardom. And we're also fortunate enough to have a little clip of one of my favourite Starling songs, which is Every Single Time. So tune into this episode to hear it later on. And don't forget to listen to the end because... Her final takeaway today is a really powerful one. Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast, darling. It's so good to have you here. And let's just start with that. Like, actually, it's a bit weird to sit here with this pop princess and not know if I should call you Harriet or Starling. So what would you prefer? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Starling is awesome in this space. But I know that we know each other from, yeah, an incredible mastermind. So I'm absolutely Harriet in that space. (laughs) Okay, cool. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I absolutely love your work. So I'm excited to talk about, well, your your topic really and, and, and how it's been a part of my journey. I really appreciate that. And as I say to every guest who comes on, that the more vulnerable we can be, the more we can connect with others. So we've sort of talked about how we're going to let stuff hang out here, talking about flaws and imperfections, because that is a way that we can move towards success and progress by embracing all of that and and, uh, looking at our failures, looking at our growth. So I'm going to ask you some quite deep questions and we'll see where that takes us. So let's think about just sharing to the audience first a little bit about your journey into being quite multi-hyphenated. You know, you do a lot of things. You don't just, you know, perform. You're not just a recording artist. You also do coaching. So Tell the listeners a bit about your journey into those different areas. Mm, That's such a great point and question. And I'm really pleased that we're actually starting here Um, because the truth be told, and hopefully people will really relate to this, is I kept my love and passion for self-development quite hidden from my pop career. I got discovered about five years ago, six years ago. And quite quickly from being discovered, I started to mentor, whether it was Abbey Road Studios or whether it was people that just kind of knew I could help them with their career. And the whole way that I started mentoring was I was on a panel, I think it was just a music panel with like Stormzy and Mabel and everyone was talking about their journey. And I outwardly said, look, you know, I'm 25, 26, whatever I was. I I literally had no confidence and I had such bad stage fright that I never even sung as a kid. Like I'm literally starting to sing now. And this is how I got over it. And a girl called Charlotte wrote to me on Twitter and said, oh my God, what? Um, and so I started to bring her to my studio. So I'd always kind of helped people. It started with Charlotte and then it was lots of kind of individuals, um, kind of on a charity basis. Then it became more of um, an exchange and a company. And now it's this official platform. But in terms of going back to how does it feel to be multi-hyphenated, to be honest, I feel so empowered or what's the word liberated to own the fact that I run a platform I um, give talks all the time I even run a program as you know because we're in a mastermind and I talk about it called Icon which is for musicians that want to get recognition 
Um, I also run less known um, program for women. It's very, very small for um, a handful of women that want to talk about wealth and in- enhance their wealth. And that's called Owning It. And I absolutely love doing it. And the irony is, and I really hope people will um, take this as a nugget, is the thing I felt most shame about, which is that you can't be two things in a world that wants you to be one is now the thing that when I go into my management meetings or my brand meetings or label meetings, they're like, this is Starling and she's special because, and I'm like, there's this part of me that's like, but this was the stuff I hid for like a good five years. And it wasn't until the pandemic of which we were only just recovering that I actually, you know, I wasn't on my American tour that got canceled. I sat in my house where I'm here, in fact, this room, setting up a platform that's official, setting up, you know, a team. I've trained coaches, like, you know, it's, it's a, a proper company. Whereas it was always just this thing that, oh yeah, if you know Starling, you know she does it. But it's like gone from, oh yeah, if you know, you know, to like me owning it. And I think one of my, why I've called the money program owning it is one of my things is really, we all have a lot of shame or we all have lots of ideas about how we need to be. So like a pop star doesn't coach or like a photographer doesn't have a secondary company or whatever your ideas are about how you show up in the world. And the irony is the more that I own all of me and the fact that like, I love giving talks or I love helping people, the more that that's actually the unique selling point rather than, oh, here's another nice kind of singer who can wear nice outfits. Mm. There's so much more depth to you than that, you know, feeling like you don't want to be something that is superficial or surface level. There's more depth to you and wanting to bring out that, I guess, of the, you know, the way that a prism breaks the light. Like there's, there's lots of different colors in that, uh, what is the word? Kaleidoscope. That's sort of the word I think of when I think yeah. of the kaleidoscope of, of light. There's lots of different things to yeah. be right about. Um, I guess sort of when you are multi-hyphenated and having passion for different things, just allowing yourself to break that mold. I think that's really powerful, Starling, that you think about, you know, people don't want me to do this. People want me to be pigeon-told. People, people want me to be just the one thing. And how do I break that mold? How do I break the rules and just feel free to, you said the word liberated, to do what I want to do? How have you come to that conclusion? This, this is exactly it, Michaela, is for me, yeah, it's great that I'm now owning it all and, you know, have worked. I'll still say working through. If I'm really honest, there are moments where I'll think of somebody in the music industry that might not think it's cool. So I just want to be a bit honest about that. But I'll say I'm 90% there with owning it. And I would say that um, what's really on my mind right now for people to hear is yes, it's about Harriet or Sterling owning it and isn't that brilliant? But really for me, more importantly, it's about being a pioneer for other people. So to give you an example, I would never ever want other people to have to experience the hiding of their woo side or their, I don't know, tarot, if that's what you like, or um, in my case, coaching. I would hate that for somebody to have to feel like they can only be and do one thing. That's outdated. That's like an old system. Um, the music industry's changed. People have changed. People don't even have the same gender that they were born at. The whole, there's, there's so much that's changed. And I want to be a pioneer now in the same breath as being able to do that. And I intend to do that through all of my, this is what all my coaching is about as well, which I'll come on to in the same breath, being a pioneer isn't always sexy or fun. It's scary. And so though people go like, oh my God, she was the first to do this, or he was the first to do that. 
Yes, but it wasn't always easy for them to stand up and say, I'm going to do it differently because the fear is if you do it differently, you get cast out. So most people choose the easy option, which is, do you know what? I'm going to hide or I'm going to shrink or I'm going to not own all of the magic that is me because I don't want to be cast away from something that's um, what I've known or that's important to me. And the irony is that people that you're giving a lot of time to about like judgment or what these people on the internet might think of you actually aren't even the people you're speaking to. <laughs> That's the irony. And so when you actually own, who is it that I actually am speaking to? You're not speaking to everyone. You're speaking to a very specific person for the most, you know, for the most part, I'm talking to creatives. I'm talking to people that want to be positive leaders. Um, it takes a lot of bravery and courage for us to be pioneers in whatever way that looks like. And yet people glorify that, you know, that it's like the success story and actually it's quite sticky and it's quite a lot to, um, yeah, to really own that, to be quite honest with you. But the reason I do a lot of what I do isn't just about like, oh, isn't that great for my journey to be able to kind of own, you know, everything that I am. It's wonderful. But more importantly, if I'm then an inspiration to somebody that goes, actually, it's very, um, it's very normal now for a pop singer to uh, be a speaker or it's very normal now for a photographer to have a childcare company or whatever it is you know that they that they want to do um then that's great because we get to change the paradigm and that's what I'm all about is changing the paradigm to to free and liberate people mm, I love that it's taking you know taking the courage to break the mold and, and you know liberating yourself I'm wondering is there a dark side to that is there any risk of your multi-hyphenated passion and pioneering and all that being something that burns you out or weighs too heavily on you? I think the danger of that is if we don't learn delegation. And so when I was setting everything up myself, I, like you say, I loved it, but there were other parts of me that were like, this isn't sustainable. <laughs> this genuinely isn't sustainable. And that's when like, great, you know, great thanks to coaches and mastermind groups is when you get to bring that in with other women or other people that are also, you know, um, being pioneers and say, you know, this isn't working. What can I do to make this work for me? So I don't have to have a breakdown or limit myself or cut the amount of work I do. And so that's why I now have a team of about five, four or five. So I'd say, yeah, the other thing that that question reminds me of is how easily people can chase the money. So let's say you've got two passions and one of them makes you more money than something else. Another honest truth is you end up perhaps potentially doing more of the money one because it becomes, yeah, just more energizing and, and easy to do that. But then you leave behind the other thing that just needs a bit more nurturing. And so the ability to keep your eye on both of the balls becomes quite a skill rather than on what's just generating. Because although money is, is wonderful and very important, if we're just focused on that, it can be very short term. Whereas when you're looking at legacy, like you're making a record or you're making a movement like you are, people liberating people from their people pleasing and their perfectionism, that's that's a whole lifetime of work. And so if we chase like the, the quick things that are gonna give us quick money, we sometimes lose the time that we should be spending building the long term. So for me, where I've struggled is what's great short term isn't always great long term, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It does. And it's really hard to make those wise choices of where you place the most value. Is the value for you freedom, flexibility, fun, fulfillment? There's a lot of F words that are none of them the bad F word. Um, 
Or is it more about the monetary uh, reward that you get? Like, and what's going to be sustainable? You know, I've worked with people who've made, you know, a million pounds every single year and they couldn't afford to pay their expenses because they were just constantly going from one thing to the next. And it just, it was just a recipe for burnout because they could never take their foot off the accelerator. They could never pause. They could never take a break because it was then it's all going to implode because how will I sustain this lifestyle? So I'm picking up on that key word, uh, sustainability, that, you know, if I am going to follow my passions, I have to do it sustainably. Oh, that's such a beautiful phrase. And the balance, we got to be a little careful with this idea of balance. I don't know if I ever have balance there are some weeks where it's just horrendously like work-based and I do feel exhausted and there are some weeks where I'm I don't know in the south of France you know but it is it's about what's what's sustainable and for me people talk about their time and people talk about their money but for me people don't talk enough about their energy management so your energy is in fact this t-shirt this amazing company they're called not that deep and not that deep on Instagram, where focus goes, energy flows. And for anyone that's not watching this um, visually, you know, listening to this podcast, of course, um, what I'm wearing is is just a quote about intention, where and en- you know, where focus goes, energy flows. And that's the thing is, I think a lot of people. One of the key things I teach in in my programs is one of the key things that people forget is how much they're in the driving seat of their life. And they think, oh, I need to charge this, or I need to do this, or I need to sacrifice, or I must work this many days a week, or I must. And I'm not saying that you don't have to, but I'm saying there is more often a choice than we realize, you know, and and people Mm -hmm. are very quick to go to the system or the set thing or what's done, rather than really asking what's best for you, like what's really Mm Like for me, it's not best for me to work Friday afternoons anymore because of the way that, that I, I work quite intensely four days a week. And some, some parts of me judge myself and say, oh, but you should, you know, to prove yourself, you should be really busy and you should work really hard. And whilst that's, um, that's an old, an old system, I want to actually live into more of a new system, which is I work less, but when I work, I work with such intention. Mm. That's really powerful, Starling, because it's, it gives, it gives like an example of that idea of focusing your intentions so that your energy will be more better managed and you will have a sustainable pace. And it might not be that that's going to be evenly balanced from day to day or week to week, because I imagine in your industry, it's hugely demanding and it might be feast or famine based on what opportunities you are given. But then you're also describing how you sort of make wise choices but with those opportunities. And I'm wondering... You, you kind of touched upon judgment as well. And someone who is in the sort of public eye like that and, you know, being a creator, when you put things out there, what kind of criticism or negativity have you experienced for what you've created and how has that affected you? Mm, that's a brilliant question. I would say when you first get your first hate mail kind of comment on social media, the, the joke that me and my team and everyone in the industry <laughs> kind of says is well you've made it (laughs) so it's a nice reframe that if you are getting a lot of crap from somebody or something that actually they care enough to write or some you like weird I don't know person has the time who has the time to do that um to write some some like nasty comments so um at first that is a little tricky I wouldn't say that's affecting me right right now I would say it's not so much the public that can be the issue or at least not yet I'm still building my career like maybe you could ask the question to like Ellie Goulding and she'll have a different answer but um what I 
find slightly tricky is more around the judgment on the industry on what you should look like. So it's only recently that I've started to notice I'm not quite as skinny as I as I was. I just used to um, run around and just, I don't know, I didn't really think about my weight because I was just kind of always a dancer and running around. And I started to notice what that feels like on camera to be scrutinized or for somebody to say, you know, you might want to, you know, lose some weight. And, and that's plus um, a big frigging topic, which is ageism, because I actually started late well it's not it's not late as starting your career at 25 isn't late but in the pop world a lot of people start like Mm. 16 it's considered late and if you're over 30 you're not played on the radio or or so they say so for me it's yeah it's not so much the public right now I actually have an incredible Instagram following and I, I really love hanging out there and I'm now building my TikTok but for me it's more about this very subtle and I feel like you would understand in terms of like the corporate space or the idea of how we should look or how we shouldn't look. Um, that I, I do, I do sometimes, I, I do sometimes feel like, thank God I'm a little bit older because it can be really quite manipulative. And then you've got the ageism thing as well, which can then make you feel like, oh my God, I'm running out of time or, oh my God. And actually what I really want people to hear is the timeline is nonsense. There is all the time in the world, if you keep focused and you keep true to what you're trying to create, and yet the world will sometimes have, have you think that, you know, you failed if you haven't earned this amount of money or you haven't become this kind of CEO by this age or this kind of many followers by this point. And I think we have to be careful because that's quite toxic. Mm, those vanity metrics don't really say anything about how fulfilled we feel or how much value we give or you use the word legacy which I, I love you know there's almost like the legacy of liberation uh, god that's good I should I should use that um you know what I mean that actually the legacy we leave behind is is a much better metric of success because it matters to us you know if we are creators or you know I, I don't like the term influencers but essentially people who are out there in the, in the public eye and providing content in whatever format it is influence others opinion and I'd far rather think that what positive influence have I had what legacy what contribution have I made that has helped one person shift their perfectionism even two percent you know being two percent kinder to yourself what would that mean for your actions towards your children, towards your partner, towards your coworker? Like, how could that ripple effect really spread when you start to be a bit kinder to yourself? So it must be really hard when you get those, uh, you know, pardon my language, really arsy, toxic comments about your body shape, your age, things that are, we know, I should have put it, things we know, we know that women get more you know so a female pop singer would get that you know I don't know how many times you know how many times would Ed Sheeran have been told that he should lose weight you know does that happen uh, I don't know so this kind of the pressure of the patriarchy there weighs heavily on you as well so I think stripping it right back you said sort of the ageism you know you, you kind of mentioned that twice that you came into this late quote-unquote tell us about that you know the stage fright and not daring to sing how did you overcome that um, there's a couple of things that make me becoming a musician um, quite unusual in that, firstly, I was told I couldn't sing from literally the age of like, I don't know, nine or 10, because I'd always, I'd started acting. So I'd always learned poems and I'd learned how to say a poem at home or in the school and then became uh, actress and in, in play, school plays. And then I auditioned for musical theatre and I didn't get in. I was told, you don't have the right voice. Now, a kid hears 
you don't have the voice. Not that it, what I now know is I didn't have a musical theatre voice and I don't. My voice is more kind of individual or husky than a musical theatre voice. But what I internalised was, well, you, you can't sing. And then I had loads of, or have loads of siblings and they were always like, shut up. Because <laughs> I was always singing in the house. So there was a lot of, you know, you don't really have a voice. But then when I got into drama school, so this is now about 18, 19, I did start to sing just in the bar of the drama school. And um, I felt so like nervous, but I did kind of see like, mm, I can sing in tune. Like this is, you know, this is kind of what I'd like to do, but I didn't have the confidence. And I kept going red and all that kind of thing. Anyway, I finally, I had a bar job on graduation from this drama school. I thought I'd go straight to Hollywood, but instead I was on minimum wage in a bar job in London. And it was like a celebrity members club bar. So like lots of important people would, or influential people would come in. And one night, and I swear I must be like 24 or five, I stood up and I sung and my friend played the ukulele and I got spotted. And it's by a famous producer who's worked with Sia, um, a band called Massive Attack, if you know. And from then, I then have this career. So how I overcame it was exposure therapy just by doing it. But also the, the truth of it is I'm into tapping. So somebody at drama school, one of my friends called Alice, she, she told me about this tapping. Um, and when you tap certain points on your body, some of the listeners will know already what, what tapping is. Um, you actually can feel calm. And that is what got me on stage. So, so that's the first part. And then the second part was this ageism was the minute I got signed or discovered, it was this undertone of, and I swear, I remember this moment like it was yesterday, you might just about have enough time, Starling. Like you might just, mm. like how how rushy does that make you feel? Like you might just be okay, and like you know this, the undertone is maybe you know do you need Botox? Do you need to lie? Like, and so we just have to be careful. And as as a woman, I identify as being a woman, and I know that you identify as a woman. Woman to woman, speaking now, we have to be so um, conscious that we don't play into that, you know, patriarchal kind of negativity or that sense that young is the best and that you can't have a wrinkle and all this kind of stuff is so toxic. So yeah, I, I experienced it a lot from men, white, middle-class men that mainly run the industry. And I found that quite uncomfortable because it meant that I felt like I was in a rush. But the other reasons that it's unusual that I'm in music is no one in my family is in music. So every contact I made myself and I teach people how to do that in Icon. I was also told I couldn't sing and I also really lacked any self-worth because the childhood that I had was so, um, there was a lot of trauma in it because there was so much addiction and mental health. So I felt very unsafe. And then the way that I grew up as, as an adult, had lots of therapy was that the world is unsafe and you can't trust people. So then trying to start a big career in music, it, it's almost against all, all odds, but thanks to therapy, coaching, and kind of the tenacity to keep going, it's all working out. Mm. You've done a lot of inner work to be able to follow that vision and what you actually wanted to do, but it's it's so true of how we internalize criticism we receive very early on, you know, being told that you couldn't sing. You know, I've you know, I I still believe that I can't sing uh, at all uh, because I was told I'm being the very short one. We discussed of how I'm five two, and you wouldn't have known. I always had to stand at the very front by the microphone, 
So I mimed my way through childhood because I was once told that you can't sing. And obviously, you know, as a singer, if you never sing, you'll never get better at singing because you don't practice anything. So for me, I found a joy in singing, you know, within my own house uh, since I had my first child. I sort of set myself, uh, you know, a task that I want to be able to sing lullabies. I want to be able to join in in sort of, you know, play groups where you go and sing uh, rhymes and, uh, and and things like that. And I am much better at singing now in the five, six, almost six years that passed since my first child was born. So now I have a confidence and a courage to do it. I still don't think that I could, you know, go into karaoke and hit the notes. But there's, there's that sense of breaking free from it, feeling liberated that I don't need to receive standing ovations about my singing in that play group. But I want to follow my value of connection with my child. This is literally it. And I love hearing you speak about how you're like, this is the time. Like I get to do that with my kid. But also what I'm hoping is you get to kind of rewrite that story. The amount of things that we're told as a kid, like you're good at drawing or you're bad. I was told I was bad at accents at drama school. And it's like, I can't get over it. I just can't even do an impression view of a Scottish person, even though I know that I could, because, or any person with a different accent, because um, there's this part of me that, that truly believes what I was told. So we need to be really careful. I'm not a parent yet, but we need to be careful as parents, but also as um, you know, kind people of the world, that we're not negatively programming particularly when you're a kid, you, you soak it all up, you know, you believe everything that people say, that we're not, you know, contributing to people's negative stories. It's, oh, it's so damaging. It really is. And it sounds like you've internalised some of that sort of the idea or the story of, of worthlessness, you know, through no fault of your own, you experienced trauma in your, in your upbringing, not feeling safe and having those sort of attachment traumas or early, you know, shaping experiences can be really hard. But one of the things I was struck by when I've been listening to your music since we sort of met each other in, in this um, group coaching container is your song every single time. And you sing, and I'm quoting now, I know I'm enough, I can see it. I know I'm enough, I can feel it. I know I'm enough, let the phoenix arise. So I wondered if we can just spend the last few minutes thinking about the meaning of this song for you. What did you mean by these lyrics? Oh, I love this question. It's also, I'd say... I shouldn't have favourites, but I should say that I also really am in love with that song because I guess sometimes you write for others what you need to hear yourself. And though for the most part, almost every day, I do for the most part feel adequate and good enough and confident. I spent years feeling the opposite way. And if I'm triggered, I know that I can fall back into that space. And ultimately, when we look at the human psyche and all of my studies and reading shows that everybody has exiled parts. So parts that they've cut off from, like the young part that doesn't believe they're good enough or the young part that feels powerless or hopeless or feels um, that she's second best. Or we, we get then we get to attract that in our life to heal it. And yet we think like we're attracting like, oh, my God, more trauma. But actually, it comes through as in our adulthood to heal what we couldn't when we were kids because we didn't have the tools, we weren't equipped. And so some of the work I do in my programs is obviously um, coaching, but is this um, therapy called part work therapy, which is really helping those parts of us that we've had to um, just kind of disconnect from, or you know, it might show up in your business like you might not send an email or ask for the sale because you're too worried about feeling shame or judgment or pain, which are these XR parts. So ultimately, with regards to the song every single time, I wanted a song that reflected A, how far I've come, 
but be how much I need to hear on those days where I'm not feeling um, that things are working out or that I'm at all adequate. And I feel like people get it at the core of it. Really, every day we get to you know ask ourselves, do we feel, how do we feel about ourselves? is more important than you know what we've achieved and and so this song is about um reminding people that they can tap into that i would say this song is more of a mantra it's a mantra because i want people to practice that feeling and by practicing the enoughness they then get to show up in the world bigger less shame less inner critic and they get to show up more more and more brave and a world full of even braver, more courageous people is a more awesome world. Well, it would be a lot more free, wouldn't it, if you didn't have to sort of, you know, I often say to sort of um, celebrating your successes without the second guesses, that it's almost like when we've stepped into the the joy of having reached that achievement, then it's like, oh, well, maybe it wasn't quite good enough. Or maybe what's the next thing? What's the next thing I can do after that? And I have to raise the bar a bit more. Well, actually, if I could just sit here right now, actually, you made a kick-ass song that I keep singing around the house. I've, I'll share that to you in the group as well, that I sort of have have your playlist on. And just, it is such a, a mantra or an affirmation. Um, but also acknowledging that there will be parts of you who will definitely kick against that affirmation. It's not as easy as just saying, I'm enough, I can feel it. Actually, there will be parts of you, the exiled parts who say, actually, no, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not. And we don't want to have that internal struggle. We don't want to sort of fight against the inner critic, but it's more just softening. Well, yeah, I know. Some days it'll be easier to hear it. And some days it will be really hard to believe that. And that's okay too. That's part of the journey. So I really appreciate you sharing why, what that song is about. I'm wondering, I'm going to be in the spot now, could you sing it for us? Just the bit there that I quoted. Oh, absolutely. One, two, three, four. No, I'm enough, I can see it. No, I'm enough, I can feel it. No, I'm enough, I let the phoenix rise. Oh, no, I'm enough, I can see it. No, I'm enough, I can feel it No, I'm enough, I let the phoenix rise Every single time mm. Every single time Every single time I know I'm enough, I can feel it Every single time Every single time Every single time I know I'm enough, let the phoenix so, let the phoenix so, let the phoenix so, let the phoenix rise, oh, oh, let the phoenix so, let the phoenix rise. Thank you. So thank you very much for sharing that. That's lovely, just having a little snippet of it. Obviously, if you want to hear more of uh, Stalin's beautiful voice, you can go onto Spotify or all the big platforms where you get your music and just put in Starling and you'll get it. And this song that she um, she sent us a little clip of is Every Single Time. But drawing things to a close, because I know we're time conscious, we've had some tech issues, and I would love to ask you 50 million more questions. But I wonder if we can just think about, you know, we've talked a lot about passion projects and being multi-hyphenated, so I feel we've covered the purpose quite a lot. And I feel that we talked about sort of noticing you know we talked about pausing to notice the inner parts of you showing up noticing the narratives the stories we tell ourselves i wonder about playfulness i mean i'm sitting here with a creative person and having supported a lot of creatives in therapy 
creativity is a big part of play but what do you think about when it comes to play what's sort of fun and innovative and creative for you oh I love that so so play to me is to do something without having a desired outcome without trying to make it you know work or then we're going to sell this song or whatever so I've turned a lot of what I was calling play into a bit of a business and I don't mind that that's great you know I still would walk into the room with you and create a song and not really know where it's going to go but in my personal life play is more like hula hooping (laughs) roller skating um I don't know uh dancing to some kind of music in my studio um and so there's a bit more play is a bit more kind of kid-like um in terms of the activities that I do and that is often physical stuff like dancing or hula hooping but it can also be like tomorrow I'm hoping to have the day off and I will happily just sit in the park with a picnic and you know do some drawings or doodles so yeah play, play for me is in my everyday with my creativity but because we do have one eye on the tiger of then selling it in some fashion um it doesn't take away the play definitely not but I also have to make sure in my personal life that I'm doing things like, um, yeah, just super fun, fun stuff. Mm, and taking that pressure off uh, yourself for it to be kind of amount to something that actually just it's just finding yourself in that flow, I suppose. And is that difficult then if you also, you have to create for a living and it's not just like I'm doing this as sort of, uh, a bit of a hobby you know I, I talk about how I do my watercolors because I just enjoy being lost in the flow but I don't have to sell them I don't have to do anything with them so how do you create when you're not inspired and how do you get inspiration to create whichever comes first oh I love this question I, I I guess a part of me wants to say well I'm always inspired but maybe that's nonsense I guess because I journal a lot and I'm very in touch with my feelings And yeah, I don't put my feelings on people. I'm just always journaling or taking note. In fact, the cupboard that's behind me is full of over 75 songwriting notebooks. I kind of want to open and show you. Um, So in a way, I'm connected because my work's autobiographical and I'm very connected to what's going on in the world or what's going on in my world. Starling's World is my Instagram handle, I should say. It's called Starling's World. That in a way, I am always inspired. But you know what it is, Michaela? I think true inspiration, this might be helpful to people, and um, it's doing things differently, right? So we're in a space where I'm sure people listening, your audience, you know, have a morning routine or they understand what meditational yoga is or how to regulate their nervous system. But the thing that I feel like people need to talk more about is mixing up the system. So this morning, having cinnamon on my porridge instead of just um, honey or going... To straight away instead of cleaning the bunnies which I've got to do in the morning going straight out to the park or just doing things differently um and not you know maybe moving the angle of your laptop today so that you you know you've got that fresh energy or in my case I've just done up my studio it's doing things differently to me at this point is more important than ritual and then I'm inspired I'm inspired because I'm in a mm. new location I'm in a newer landscape or the room has changed from pink to orange or whatever I've decided to paint it so for me ritual has a place particularly as someone who was or is very traumatized from my from my past but once you're regulated once you are connected to self ultimately if you don't mix things up like the way that you have done something in the house or the way that you've you've um changed the rhythm of your day it's hard for you to do creative things because you're actually just doing the same old stuff So for me, it's all about mixing things up. 
Mm, so kind of finding magic rather than the mundane, you know, breaking things up, breaking the mold. I guess that makes sense from a neuroscientific point of view that the brain uh, does love familiarity, it loves patterns, but actually giving it novelty is something we thrive off as well. Then we can get that sort of spark of, of desire to create and feel inspired. So thank you so much for sharing that. Drawing things to a close, I wonder if there's a final takeaway you can give to the listeners, like a permission you want to give them or a pressure you want to take off them. Ooh, I would say the paradox is when you own all the parts of you, your shadow, your fear, your multi-hyphenated <clears throat> passions, the things like your story that maybe you're not that proud of or in circumstance or situation you survive, the irony or the paradoxes when you share all of you and share the different corners of you and your experience you become a magnet and we're in a culture that says it's love and light or be positive that's not my experience the realness comes from when you own all of who you are what you've gone through and all of what you want and desire and for me magnetism is about being grounded and about being comfortable and and owning all of that stuff not about kind of being positive to make that sale or being um, positive to help that friend to really validate someone and yourself is what's really grounded and really magnetic. And so the more that we can own who we are and what we want, what we've been through and where we're going, the more magnetic we become. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful and allowing and accepting that the world and the reality in our lives is messy. It's not full of, you know, this toxic positivity we see on Instagram. It's, I was, uh, I was told when I first sort of brainstormed this podcast, when I had a working title of Living Life Light and Dark, and I was told it was too negative and I couldn't have it. And it was like, oh, but that, no one's going to listen to that. It's going to be you moaning about how hard life is. And I'm like, this life is hard. And that's where compassion comes from. It's because life has the reality check that life is really hard. So yeah, I'll probably write a book about that with that title instead. I'll, uh, I'll acquaint you in it. Uh, we, can, we can collaborate on that in the future. But before I get too excited about how hard life is and <laughs> why that brings me joy, um, let's draw things to a close, darling. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And you've already mentioned that people can find you on Instagram under Starling's World and they can obviously search for your music, Starling. Anything else you want to share with the audience about what the offerings uh, that you have? Yeah, so if someone is a musician or singer listening, I have an icon program, which is really helping them with their public profile, their numbers and getting recognition. And owning it, as I said, is just um, a really small group for women and wealth. And that looks at um, money and our relationship to owning it all, um, both, both financially and emotionally. And that's under jointheplatform.com. Um, there are some spaces one-to-one, -one, but that operates a, a waiting list. So everything's on that website, join the platform, J-O-I-N, join the platform.com, and uh, they can get on a um, mailing list or a waiting list. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. It's been a joy talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the end, dear Pause Purpose Player. This was such a good episode, wasn't it? I really enjoyed talking to Starling as I used to work with creatives when I worked in a part of London that had a lot of people who were authors, actors, artists, and so on. And I loved guiding them to step out of that stage fright and anxiety, but not being enough. You know, performance and anxiety is a hugely crippling thing for your creativity. So taking that pressure off yourself can help to unblock procrastination 
and letting go of perfectionism can also help us to to perform better long term because you're also finding a more sustainable pace of doing it. If you've listened to the very end and you got a bit inspired by some of the things we're talking about, about stepping into your legacy and feeling liberated to actually do the things that you're passionate about, please drop me a line to book a free chat to me about my new program, Burn Bright. I'll be doing a sort of foundational stage that is shorter, that will give you the fundamental tools you need, and I will do a deeper dive that will be much longer so you can fully immerse yourself in the the legacy of liberation, the actually what you could do to burn bright if you're able to just help yourself prevent yourself from burning out. So anyway, drop me a message to info at thethomasconnection.co.uk to book your free 20-minute slot to talk about how burn bright would work for you. And as always, dear listener, please do take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, This episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.